Hi, this is Dr. William Renner. Thank you for joining me in this podcast on evidence-based medicine. It's my honor to uh, interview Dr. Alan Safdie, world-famous gastroenterologist uh, today and internist. Uh, I myself am uh, board certified in internal medicine and uh, radiology. Uh, Today I want to talk about COVID and what's the latest uh, on COVID. Uh, Alan, uh, both you and I have received our first doses of the vaccine, uh, being uh, healthcare workers. Um, Are we protected yet? Well, Bill, you know, let's step back a little bit and see where we are and where we've come from. You know, early in the year, we predicted the rollout was not going to be smooth um, because we need the infrastructure built out. It's not just vaccine development. It's vaccine administration, storage, other things. Um, You know, where we are, the world's passed 2 million COVID-19 deaths right now. We've passed what we lost in World War II uh, in the United States. So it's hard for people to conceptualize how much 2 million people are uh, that we've lost from this. But imagine, Bill, that every single day, 10 large commercial jets, you know, some of the largest commercial jets possible, fell out of the sky, 10 of them a day, every single day, 365 days in a row for an entire year. That's equivalent to about 2 million people. Um, So this is a devastating disease, not just in the United States, but worldwide. Um, You know, in the United States, you know, we've surpassed, you know, 400,000 already uh, in regards to deaths. Yeah, it's to me, it's shocking. I mean, we have uh, a good friend of ours. I won't mention his name. He's uh, a head of uh, orthopedic surgery in a in a hospital in uh, L.A. Um, normally, he wouldn't be called on to, to work uh, in the wards, but they're out of doctors. So as the chairman of the orthopedics department, he's working in the COVID unit. And uh, as you know, he told us that his biggest problem is finding enough body bags. People are dying so fast, they don't have enough body bags or morgues for these, for these deaths. I mean, it's so sad. And he says he leaves the hospital, and he can't believe that people are not wearing masks. People are not distancing. People are still going inside of restaurants. Um, people, this is, this is a real disease. Uh, we're not making this disease up. God, I, I wish we, we would, or, uh, we would have made it up, but it's unfortunately a real disease with real number of deaths and real suffering. And, uh, we all need to work on this. You know, we need to get our economy back. We need to get the kids back to school. We need to make everybody safe. The way to do that we're not going to get the vaccines for a while. And even if we do, we're not going to be safe for a while. So let's mask up. Come on, just man up. Mask up. Uh, keep your distance. Um, just follow this, those things. Those things are going to are gonna help save us. Alan, what, what are your thoughts? All right, well, let's go back a little bit in, into the vaccines, where we are. Um, some data. We have 77 vaccine candidates. We have 200 ongoing clinical trials. We have eight approved vaccines. So it's not that we haven't gone anywhere. Scientifically, we've got quite a long ways. We have, you know, phase one studies, which are early studies. We have 24 vaccines, phase two, 34 vaccines, phase three, which is getting down the road, 19 vaccines and eight vaccines that have been approved in at least one country. 
I'm not saying they're approved in the United States. We only have two approved in the United States right now, BioNTech, Pfizer, and Moderna, which are both messenger RNA type vaccines. Uh, pretty soon, you know, we're going to be seeing hopefully the Johnson & Johnson, Janssen Pharmaceutical ones with data coming out later this month. Uh, we have the Russian one, which is Sputnik, which is approved in eight countries. Uh, AstraZeneca is approved right now in seven countries, the last time I checked. Uh, India, Covishield has uh, approved in one country. And Covaxin has approved in one country with five trials in the country. So uh, let's, let's talk about Moderna and Pfizer. Uh, both of us uh, elected to take the vaccine. Uh, luckily, um, we, being medical uh, workers, we were offered the vaccine relatively early in the, in the year. Uh, why did you take it? Did you, why do you think it's safe? I think well, it's perfectly safe. I mean, nothing in life is 100% safe. Have people had problems with this? Yeah. I mean, have there been some allergic reactions, not necessarily to the messenger RNA, but possibly the carrier molecules, which is polyethylene glycol and other things put into this, possibly the gloves even that the healthcare worker was wearing. There may not be latex in the vaccine, but maybe they wore latex gloves and people had allergic reactions to those. But, you know, are, is there a potential of allergic reactions uh, yes, very slight. I mean, uh, but, uh, you know, the nothing is without risk. And we tell people after the vaccine, please wait around for 15 to 20 minutes after you're vaccinated. Uh, I elected because right now we've had, you know, a significant amount, millions of vaccines administered of both of these, the BioNTech, Pfizer and Moderna vaccine. The data has looked good. Is it 100 percent protective? Absolutely not. Um, you know, there. Well, let's talk about safety first. I think it's that from the data we know so far, uh, from millions of people who've received this vaccine, uh, it appears to be safe. Now, a lot of people are afraid of it. I think I hear people telling me they're afraid of it because it's genetically modified uh, vaccine. Can you explain why that's still safe? Okay. Well, one, it's not a, it's not a genetic, you're not making, we're not giving you actually a vaccine. We're giving you information so you can make the vaccine. So it's quite different than anything we've used before. What RNA is, this messenger RNA is, it's injected into your muscle and your arm. It gets into the cytoplasm, this tissue around, this stuff around the nucleus in the cell. And it tells that area, okay, let's make this protein. In this case, it's giving information to make a spike protein, same thing that's on the outside of the virus. So you make, you're making the vaccine by making these spike proteins, which are released out of the cytoplasm. Um, and these dendritic cells or these cells around there then react to those spike proteins and you're making antibodies and your whole immune system is getting revved up to respond to those. It may take two weeks for a good response to that. So this is not something that's made in a fetus, not these, um, you know, these are right. They're not from fetal tissue. They have nothing uh, to do with the, fetal tissue and the Pope is electing to get the vaccine also. Um, so I would think he's a much higher authority than I am. Um, but you know, these are vaccines that we have good evidence in regards to safety. Right. The, the vaccine does not go into your cell. It does not change your genetic material. It, it's well, it mRNA. 
Yeah, I, I'm sorry, it doesn't go into the nucleus. It's going to the cell. It does not go into the nucleus of the cell, which is where the genetic material is. Uh, and it's also broken down very quickly in the body. Isn't that correct? Yeah, I mean, the breakdown of messenger RNA is very, very quick. Um, you know, sometimes within hours. You know, I'd be shocked if there's any residual messenger RNA after a week. But usually it's we're talking about hours to a day. The reason that is, is your body needs the RNA, needs to push other things into that cytoplasm to make other stuff. Uh, so it's not going to stay there. It's not going to continue to make spike proteins. Uh, we don't expect long-term sequelae. And this is a fascinating approach to vaccine development. This can be used for modifying this as we get more variants. As we have a variant right now that's quite contagious, the B117. Um, and we're going to have other variants. We have the Columbus variant uh, right now in the United States, and we have the South African variant. But using messenger RNA, we can modify these and say, okay, make these different type of spike proteins, which are on these different variants. So, Yeah, I, I personally think that this technique is uh, a modern-day medical mir uh, miracle. I think it's, it's, it's a brilliant uh, a brilliant idea that came just at the right time for us. Well, I mean, that's my feeling. You, you know, you're right. Um, it's been around for a while um, and people have used this or started to use this, but not in clinical situations up until this. So, you know, the reason we get two shots, and let me go to that for a second. Just take measles, mumps, and rubella, which we're all, we give it to babies around the world to prevent, you know, all these childhood illnesses and deadly infections. And after one dose, about 40% of those patients are protected uh, from all three viruses compared to about 4% um, that, you know, are not protected after their second dose. So the second dose, the booster dose uh, is quite important. The booster dose, it activates two important types of white blood cells, you know, these B cells, which make your antibodies, um, but those can be kind of short-lived. Um, and then you have these T cells, which are, you know, they identify particular pathogens or things that are bad for us. And these memory T cells are able to linger in our body for decades. And when, you know, we're, they're, this bad thing gets into our body again, like COVID-19, um, hopefully, uh, it's, they're going to tune up the immune system and allow us to fight that off. Uh, so the booster is extremely important. How should you act after you had your first shot? Don't pretend like you're immune. So some studies show over 50% decrease in infections. That doesn't mean you're not infectious. Uh, clinical infections we're talking about. It doesn't mean you could, couldn't pass it on to somebody else. And that's two weeks after your first injection. Some other studies show, especially in older patients over the age of 60, we're dealing in the 30-something percent range in regards to efficacy after the two weeks after the first injection. After you get your second injection, again, you don't have good antibody levels till about two weeks after your second injection. Still, act like you never got a vaccine. Um, you know, we uh, yeah, I think some of the studies say 95 percent. Uh, efficacious, but that's in young people. Uh, that's not in older people, like people over 60. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, the older you get, Bill, when you got your influenza vaccine, I, I don't want to mention your age, but you got a yeah, high, high dose <laughs> influenza vaccine. Why? 
because the older you are, the less antibodies you make after getting the influenza vaccine. Same thing with this. The older people are, or the sicker they are, or the underlying conditions, they may develop less antibodies. We're not going to know all this information until, you know, our first patients were in July in clinical trials getting this. So we don't have long-term data. But when we look at people over 60, they did not have as good a response as the younger patients in this. But even if we're talking about clinical disease, we're not talking about viral shedding. So maybe you'll get a subclinical disease after the vaccine and be able to pass it on to other people. I am not, unless I have a vaccine pod, meaning if you your family gets vaccinated, my family gets vaccinated for two weeks after my second, the second vaccine for everybody in that pod, yes, we can get together. We'll still obey by you know some social distancing and other things. But yeah, we could probably eat dinner together and be careful. Um, but would I come to your house if we've all been vaccinated and you guys haven't? No, I think I'd be a risk to give it to you guys because I could have a subclinical infection. So are, there are some people that say, okay, let's just take masks off, pretend like you know nothing ever happened. Until we get herd immunity and we have 70 to 80% of the population vaccinated, I think we have to continue to be extremely careful. Alan, this was a, a great discussion. Uh, I'm looking forward to our next topic. What do you want to talk about next, Alan? I, you know, I think there's something I don't want to talk about COVID again. Um, just because I, I think that people are going to get burnt out. We'll leave that next COVID discussion for a few weeks from now as we get more and more information. What I'd like to talk about is Parkinson's disease a little bit. Um, there's some fascinating studies on Parkinson's disease in regards to nutrition. So what we're looking at and we'll discuss are the antioxidants, vitamin C and vitamin E are linked to lower risk of Parkinson's. Don't run out and get the vitamins. So we'll discuss that in the next podcast. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, Alan, for another great uh, podcast. If you like this uh, evidence-based medicine, uh, please subscribe to our podcast. Please tell your friends about the podcast and stay safe. Thank you, Bill.